The following interviews have been produced by Tape Community Music and Film in partnership with Blind Veterans UK. The project aims to bring stories to life through different creative media and activities. The work is inclusive and encourages a wide range of people to respond through creative expression and exchange. The project is kindly supported by the Heritage Lottery Fund. Once you've listened to this podcast, we welcome any submissions of creative response work based on what you've heard. You can send your work to info at tapemusicandfilm.co.uk. Thank you. My name is uh, Mr Billy Baxter. Uh, I'm a blind veteran. I'm a former soldier. I served in the British Army in the Royal Horse Artillery for 21 years. Uh, I lost my sight uh, in Bosnia while I was serving out there in 1997 by contracting a virus uh, in the back of my eyes, uh, rendering me totally blind. I became a member of the charity when it was formerly known as St Dunstan's. Uh, back in 2000, so just shy of 20 years that I've been a member. Uh, I work here now at the Thlandidno Centre as a rehabilitation and training liaison officer. Uh, part of my role and job is to motivate, inspire uh, and assist new members in their early days of sight loss by giving them peer support and reassurance as only one blind man can do for another. Uh, I'm also uh, double-rolled uh, in the fact that I'm Vice President of Blind Veterans UK uh, nationally uh, and I represent uh, the charity in the northern region of the British Isles. Uh, I work here uh, full-time uh, with the Rehabilitation Department uh, and that uh, is uh, in a nutshell what I do. The statue of our lads uh, is quite symbolic. It empathises exactly how this charity and why this charity was formed. The seven young men that you see, broken, being led off a battlefield, blinded by poison gas. Uh, the piece itself is called Victory Over Blindness. Uh, these lads symbolise the very roots and origins of our charity with uh, our founder Arthur Pearson's vision uh, of rebuilding lives after sight loss. Uh, those young men to me symbolise uh, desperation, uh, walking into hope uh, and they uh, immediately conjure up conversation and thoughts to all visitors and members alike that come to this centre. Words uh, don't need to describe uh, the scene that, that they look uh, in front of them of, the, of these young men uh, going across. Each one of them has its own story. Uh, but in essence, those young men to me uh, are broken, coming uh, to the family of Blind Veterans UK uh, to hopefully have their lives rebuilt and, and overcome sight loss. That statue I use in my welcome uh, briefs and talks to all new members that um, join the charity both young and old, I refer um, to them as part of my history talk on the background of the charity. Um, we should never forget our origins and roots or the sacrifice made by our forefathers in World War I that gave so much for us to live 
uh, freely like we do today. And those statues uh, under the stairs there uh, are replicated uh, in Manchester at Piccadilly Station in bronze where they're tactile, people can touch them. And, and I know firsthand uh, the wider public in general uh, stop, think, uh, and it's thought-provoking and conversation-provoking with the, with the public that see them for the first time. The question is referring, obviously, to Arthur Pearson's training centre in Regent's Park, St Dunstan's Villa, uh, in its early days. Uh, it was totally groundbreaking uh, over 100 years ago to rehabilitate disabled people, uh, especially the blind. Many, many thousands of men and women were being disabled by war, uh, and prior to World War I, uh, society's perception of people with a disability was quite grim, um, where people were destitute, they were put in asylums, hospitals, uh, infirmaries, some of them were busking or begging. Um, and for the first time in society's history, there we have a centre solely uh, designed to help and rehabilitate blinded people and it astounded the general public um, worldwide the work that was done with disabled people these young men that were blinded uh, and, and maimed due to war were going into this house coming out smiling invigorated um, their confidence has been, has been rebuilt uh, and they had the quest for life again and that in its days that 100 years ago a house of miracles is a great statement and to this day this centre here in Thlandidno um, our members come in uh, disillusioned, uh, depressed, um, very frightened, uh, full of um, anxious uh, thoughts. Um, they come into the centre um, and after a couple of days that miracle starts to happen within this building with the, the professionals and the staff and more importantly peer support um, after a couple of days they realise they're not on their own and a miracle happens. The magic of this centre envelops them uh, and at the end of the training week on their first arrival here they leave um, ready to face life uh, and to, to be reborn. How do you describe the magic uh, within the buildings of Blind Veterans UK, both Brighton and Thlandidno? Well, in essence, it's simple. Uh, a building's a building, it's just bricks and mortar. But it's the members that bring the magic into that building. Um, the peer support, the members that have been here a while, will impart their knowledge uh, and support to people that, that have not had that um, uh, empathy or support in the community they've been living. They may have been blind or isolated for some time. Uh, not engaged um, socially and to find themselves amongst like-minded people that's when the magic starts to happen the magic is that peer support those people uh, loving uh, and supporting nurturing and just having an ear for somebody and uh, and then the staff the professionalism of our staff and the activities on offer um, within open doors for them uh, and these doors um, could either be a vocational door to, to encourage them to go back into work or it might be to rejuvenate uh, a pastime or a hobby that they had that they no longer thought they could do. Oh, I'm blind and I, I used to paint. 
Um, I used to draw pictures or I used to do woodwork, but now I can't see. They come here and see other members that have overcome that problem, that are blind, some worse off than them, that are doing woodwork, art, um, painting, mosaic, or a sport or an activity. And that encourages them. Um, and we don't question what people do here. We don't, um, uh, we, we don't strive for perfection. It's okay to make a mistake. It's okay to fail. Um, we work alongside them and we say that's okay. You know, it's just your energy and your input and, and your passion and desire to do something. And with time, they overcome their disabilities uh, and then master whatever they're striving to do to the best of their ability. Part of my role is peer support. And the question that you've asked um, about how you overcome people that you support that have lost everything really starts in, in my role with initial phone call prior to them coming on an introduction week. So a week prior to that individual coming to the centre, I'll ring them at home. And I know within minutes uh, of just picking that telephone up and speaking to the, the member, um, that initial call is, hello, all right, yeah, who's on the phone, to hang about, I'm talking to another member here, he sounds injuvenated and energised and um, you tap into their interests and what they've done in the past and at the end of the telephone call you've explained what they're coming to. Um, and a lot of them are still a little bit reserved, they think, is this just a sales pitch? Um, I've promised them that I'd meet them here on Sunday, which I honour. I meet them here on the Sunday when they arrive and they are like startled rabbits in the headlights. They're completely, oh my goodness me. Uh, and then they're hit by that magic. They're literally overwhelmed by the warmth and the love of this building. Um, in my own personal opinion, and, and I put this in the words of a virtual hug, um, they realise that they're in a safe, secure and loving environment with empathy. Um, and they soon settle in and then sitting in that lounge or in the art room or doing an activity, they realise um, you know, what's possible. And this is members of all abilities. Um, members um, that have got the energy uh, and the motivation to walk, uh, and some members come in that, that are completely immobilised, but rejuvenate, re rejuvenated mentally um, because we give them the tools to re-energise themselves, even though they physically can't take part in activities, they can, still, uh, uh, they can still produce and encourage other members to do things just by talking to them. And they, everybody uh, feels wanted, Everybody feels like they're giving something back to the charity, which is something that all of us want to do because this charity, quite frankly, uh, if it didn't exist, I would not be talking to you now. I've been, that, uh, I've been in, uh, in them shoes. I, I've done that journey. I've been at the lowest point of my life. Uh, and to have the privilege of working uh, and nurturing people like myself uh, to, to get back into life is... It is amazing. You refer to peer support um, and the phrase that Pearson, I'll, I'll quote Arthur Pearson, uh, from one blind man to another. Um, I'll start with my own personal experience, uh, which will um, make it easier to explain.
When I lost my sight, I was 33 years old. Uh, I'd served for 21 years in the army. I was still serving. Um, my life was snuffed out by losing my sight loss. I lost my family. Um, I became depressed, um, withdrawn, suicidal. Um, I was still serving in the army. Um, I was the only blind man in the world. I didn't trust anybody with sight, saying, no, you'll be all right, Billy, you'll be fine. Oh, what do you know? You know nothing, you can see. You have no idea how scary this life is. You have no idea what you're talking about and how frustrating it is not being able to drive me car or ride me motorbike anymore or go fishing or shooting or riding me horses. just want to die. And you feel really sorry for yourself. And it, my initial contact with this charity, there I was, sitting in the lounge in Brighton, like the proverbial uh, new boy at school on his first day, trying to disappear into the corner, aware around me of people smiling, talking and doing normal things, drinking coffee, rustle of newspapers and the normal things you'd find in a lounge. And something quite profound happened to me. I was sitting there aware an elderly lady was next to me, because I could hear her talking to her friend, knitting. Click, clack, click, clack, click, clack. The knitting needles were going. And she was chitting away like a little, little sparrow. Happy as, happy as the day is long. And all of a sudden, I had a sharp pain in my rib cage. She'd stabbed me in the ribs with a knitting needle. And I immediately span round. I'm like, what did you do that for? She said, who are you? I says, my name is Billy. She said, what are you doing here? Are you new? I says, well, I am new. Um, I'm in the army. I've been brought here because apparently these people claim that they can sort me out. And she was chatting away and she, she said, are you blind? And that really is like a red rag to a ball. And I literally spat out the words, yes, I am bloody blind. It's all right for you, isn't it? Because I immediately assumed she could see knitting. And she chuckled, it made me more angry. And then she stopped and I um, was aware that she put her knitting down. And she says, you are a very, very frightened and angry young man, aren't you? I went, I am. Don't worry, it'll get better. And I said, it's easy for you to say, isn't it? I said, oh yes, but it's not always been. And then she put her knitting down and everybody around me put the cups down gently, and folded the newspapers up and then closed in. Billy was going to get the talk. My name's Gwyn, she said. And I was just like you when I came to this charity. Broken, angry and disillusioned with life, hating the world. She says, I promise you it will get better. I was 21 years old, she said, when I was blinded. I wasn't even in the services. I wasn't in the Army, Navy or Air Force. I lived and worked in Cardiff. And I worked in a munitions factory. It was a pretty little thing then. I was going to be a singer after the war. I was engaged to be married. And she said, this day I turned up for work. She said, I remember going on the production line, chatting to me mates about the forthcoming weekend and what we was going to do. And then all of a sudden, I remember a big flash and a bang and the lights going out. I woke up several days later in hospital, only to find that I was immobilised on a bed 
And I knew I was in a hospital. I couldn't see because my, my face was covered in bandages. So I started shouting, she said, and the doctors came over. They reassured me and settled me down. And I kept saying, take these bandages off, take these bandages off. And they eventually told me, look, when you've had an accident at work and I'm afraid that we've had to remove your eyes. The explosion um, has um, disfigured your face and, and you've been blinded. Um, but you'll be okay. What about my friend? She said, unfortunately, one of your friends died and your other friend, she's in the ward next to you. She's had quite a lot of upper body injuries. Well, why can't I move? Gwen, we've had to remove your arms below the elbow. And she said to me, well, you could have knocked me down with a feather. She then said to me, if I had hands, the next news that I had, I would have strangled myself. My fiance had come in during my coma and said to the nurses and doctors, the wedding's off. I'm not marrying her. She's broken. And off he went. She said, and that was it. I just didn't want to didn't know. And they packed me off to these men at Church Stretton during World War uh, uh, I, uh, World War II. Uh, so they packed her off the church, Stretton, where she met other blinded members, just like her, some of them blinded, some of them lost their limbs, all from different um, theatres of war, uh, all of them giving each other peer support. And she started to feel wanted and normal uh, in that environment. Uh, and there she met her future husband. He was blinded at Monte Cassino. He had no eyes uh, and they brought up three children. They eventually got married. She said, give them a chance, Billy, give them a chance. So I spoke to people that flew Spitfires and people that had been blinded in the Arctic convoys, people that had lost their sight through illness or accidents or injury. All of them inspired me, but I wouldn't take as read. I wouldn't listen to anybody with sight. And how did they get me to start listening to people with sight? Well, they looked at my military background and threw me on a horse down at Rottingdean. Um, I can ride a horse as easy as falling off a chair or riding a bike. Just need somebody to tell me where I'm going and that's where the first part of acceptance comes into it. So that afternoon in Sussex, I was galloping across the Sussex Downs, totally blind, trusting the horse's eyes and the young girl on another horse giving me instructions. Um, and then I started to become to realise that there was life beyond sight loss, uh, that I could start doing things and that's where the miracle started working and I could cast my eyes or my memory back to Pearson's analogues and diaries and memoirs of that first visit to that Belgian soldier in hospital, that broken man, what do you know? Pearson taking his hand and saying, I too am blind. I will prove to you there is life beyond sight loss. One blind man to another. And that is where the beauty of peer support comes into it. It works in the 21st century because those new members that come in through the door meet Billy. I don't tell them I'm totally blind because most of our members have got some degree of sight through uh, macular degeneration. They've still got peripheral vision or tunnel vision or whatever. It's very rare to be totally blind. So for them to see me charging about like a bull in a china shop, being normal, whatever normal is, encourages them, blimey heck, Billy can do that and he can't see. He don't mind walking into a door or tripping over something. It's a daily occurrence when you can't see. It's, a, it's different coping strategies and, um, and that takes time. There's no set time limit. There's no tables you can follow. Uh, we're all individual human beings. We all have different breaking points. 
we all have different capacities in which we can remember things uh, and it takes time um, and that's something that this charity is really good at doing uh, and with that peer support um, you know that really helps that's part of the rehabilitation and then our professionals the guys that can see uh, can gild the lily they can then show uh, the specialist equipment uh, and look for signs and things like that um, encouraging and supporting people um, when they've lost everything uh, and that's what our members think when they lose their sight and it's a total normal thing to feel unwanted, cast out and useless uh, and a lot of our members feel that because they've lost their sight um, but I tap into what they used to do and I'll give you an example this week for example uh, I spoke to people and after I um, outlined what was happening during the week I, I got involved with their interests or what they used to do. I discovered this week out of um, 11 new members, four of them are singers and musicians or were. So one gentleman plays a piano or used to play the piano. Lucky for him, he plays it by ear. Um, and I said, well, we've got a grand piano at the center and we encourage you to go and play it. He went, oh, I couldn't do that. I said, who cares if you make a, uh, the wrong note or you're out of tune. I says, you'll soon, you'll soon get back into the swing of things. Um, his partner plays the violin. She's visually impaired. She plays by ear. She was a concert violinist. Bring your violin. Um, I discovered another gentleman. Oh, he says, well, I used to play the accordion. I said, what do you mean you used to? Well, I still play a little bit, he says, but I said, bring it with you. Why? I says, members would love it. Bring your accordion. And it turns out he's a, he's a concert standard accordionist. These guys, and they wouldn't have told me that unless I, I got involved in the conversation. Another gentleman was in a choir. He stopped singing only because he's lost his confidence. He's lost his sight, his confidence. Um, his mates, um, they're ostracising him because they, they feel frightened. They don't want to say the wrong thing. Okay to make a chump of yourself. You don't need to see to use your voice. I says, we, we, we've got choirs, we've got singers, you, you know, both young and old, we encourage people to sing, to play instruments. It's okay to make a mistake. Um, the people will encourage you and that support is amazing. So I've got four people coming next week that can't wait to get here. Um, myself, um, I was so frustrated because um, every Remembrance Day, we had, we had no one in the building, nobody in the centre, nobody locally that would come in and play the bugle. Nobody would play last post during the remembrance service that we have. So I thought, I bit the bullet. Um, I persuaded me why, I says, look, I'm gonna buy a bugle, which is whatever for. I said, I'm gonna buy a bugle, I'm gonna try and play it. What for? I gave her the reason, and now I play the bugle. I've learned by ear. I now play the bugle for birthdays, uh, remembrance days, occasions. Um, I'm not the world's best bugler in the world. I wouldn't be able to stand in front of two million people at the Albert Hall, but I could certainly stand in front of 2,000 people at London No War Memorial, not a problem. Um, and that's just um, getting out of your comfort zone and, uh, and not being frightened of making mistakes. We're all judgmental in life. and that overcomes so many barriers. I am so lucky because I treat everybody at face value. One good thing about being blind, 
I do not judge people by the way they look or the way they sound um, or their background. I take them at face value. I know within minutes of talking to somebody whether they're a good person or a bad person. Um, and that's through the luck of having no sight. So, you know, for anybody out there that's feeling low or down, you know, don't be self-critical. Um, if you can get to speak to other people that have got sight loss, it's not going to be easy. Don't be frightened of making mistakes. Um, you know, don't be frightened of failure. Just keep at it. Be tenacious in what you do. If you've got a passion, a, a will and support, you can do anything, no matter what your disability, you can do anything. There are people out there that, that are amazing, amazing human beings, and a lot of them are not able-bodied. My name is Hugh McGarry. I'm an IT instructor here at Plain Veterans, but I'm also a member as well. So I've, I lost my sight back in 1969. Well, um, ex-soldier, um, as I say, I lost my sight in 69, I was shot. Um, and I didn't become a member till this centre here was open about eight years ago, and that's when I became a member. Um, came over here, done uh, the introductory course, and Billy Baxter was involved in that, and you know, others. And then I started coming back here on a voluntary basis, um, doing some voluntary work for, for the for the organisation, you know, doing some training of people because that was my job uh, back in Belfast. I was an IT instructor for visually impaired people. I've had quite a long connection with, with Plain Veterans. Um, it used to be called St Dunson's and I, what do you call it, was, uh, I had a great uncle who was a member. Um, he lost his sight in the First World War. So he was one of the early, early members of it. Uh, so I've known about it for a long time, and the support that he got from Blaine Veterans was astronomical. Um, he ended up uh, training in Brighton, London and then Brighton. And when he came home to, back to Belfast, he was given a lot of support by, by St. Dunstan's then. Again, you know, going back to my great uncle as well, you know, he was like one of the people walking off that battlefield playing it. Um, you know, and quite a few others. I've had other friends from, you know, from Belfast um, who have lost their sight, you know, first, second world war, whatever. And I've known, you know, known them for a long time. And I think that it just, the, the, that those that statue sort of gives a, you know, it's, it's hope, it's support each other, it's supporting each other. And that's the important thing here in the center. You know, as, as IT instructors or as mobility officers or rovies, whatever, we can do a lot for individuals, but the the actual support that they get from each other, get you know, they give and receive, is very, very important too. And that's what that statue tells me, you know, it's, you know, other blind people helping others, you know. It's a fantastic statue, you know. Um, and everybody that sees it, you know, it's a very moving piece of art. It is. And the girl that made it, really, she lived that for, uh, I don't know how many years making that, you know, and she still refers to him as her boys.
young lads uh, during, you know, the particularly during the First World War, lost in their eyesight. For a lot of people, that that was the end of their lives. You know, that would have been the end of their lives. But Sir Arthur Pearson, through uh, St Dunstan's, give all of those lads hope. Give them trades, and they ended up teaching each other. Um, they got dignity back rather than sitting on the street begging or, or whatever. They were good out, they were making themselves useful members of the community again. So, you know, that was important. And that is a miracle, you know, that when you come there, you're totally devastated, you can't see at all. You don't know, you know, simple things like telling the time. It was one of the, the weird things for me when I first lost my sight, I was asking the time all the time, you know, what time is it, what time is it? And the technical officer for the plane from the Belfast Trust picked that up and brought me in a clock, showed me how to tell the time with, with this uh, real clock and said, I don't want to hear you asking about the time again. <laughs> you know, and that made a difference. A silly thing like that, we can make a difference. That was the start of my journey to recovery. I remember thinking that I was never going to be able to fish again because I, you know, was always interested in fishing. Um, and you know, a guy, another, again, an ex-soldier, <laughs> took me out and taught me to fly fish. You know, so um, I can go out, I can fly fish, I can fish off boats, and I, Billy, and I are involved in a you know, in fishing projects and whatnot through the centre and individually ourselves. And I've seen me fishing on a river one o'clock in the morning and somebody coming up the river and asking me to tie a fly on for them because they can't see to do it. You know, so, you know, and that sort of thing. There are things like that, learning to use a computer for the first time with a screen reader been able to access my own emails, been able to go add names and addresses into my contact list on my phone. All of those things are important and they're they're all they're all stepping stones to, you know, independence. You know, being able to do for yourself again. You know, that's important. You, you know, I've I've trained lots of people here. But you go into the lounge there in the evening or at the bar for, for an hour, you're talking to somebody and somebody says, I can't get this right. And somebody says, do it this way. And they go, damn, <laughs> that's so easy. You know, and that's from other members. That's that's the peer support. You know, you, you, you maybe you're just not thinking about other ways of doing something, but they can turn around and say, well, I've been doing it this way. You know, simple things like, um, how do you put toothpaste onto, onto your toothbrush? You don't. You just have your old tube and you squirt it into your mouth and that's it, you don't lose it. <laughs> that's simple. You know, so, so, so there's things like that that other members tell each other, you know, and they learn from each other. Learn quite a bit from each other, actually. As, as I say, you know, what we teach them is only part of what they're, the, the learning process. It's learning to love yourself again. There's people coming here who have their sights very, very poor. They're not totally blind, but they know they're going blind. You know, 
uh, suffering from macular or something like that. And it's about being aware of, of the loss that they're going through. Because they're losing something that's very important to them. And they need to find it, you know, they need to be able to mourn for that. And not everybody's ready at the same time to start that journey of life again. And it could take somebody months, it could take somebody years. You know, I've, I've sat, sat with guys who have been talking about losing their eyesight and they're in tears because they're terrified, you know. And if there's anything the likes of Billy and myself and others can do is, is to just give them that bit of support and say, look, it's not impossible, you know. You just need to find new ways of doing things. I, part of it is being able to listen to people and understand, you know, what's happening to them, being able to be able to, to walk away, step back, just, you know. You know, there's people come here and the first three, four days, they're brilliant. And then suddenly, down they go. You know, they're really down. And sometimes you need to go in, you need to be able to sit with them, just listen to what they're saying and hear what they're saying. You know, it's all right sitting there and somebody going on about them, you know, how bad they're feeling and stuff like that there. And then you get up and walk away. No, you can't just get up and walk away. But you need to give them that space to, you know, to express that fear, that hurt, whatever, and walk along with them in that journey, you know. You know, you can point them in different directions, but it's, it's, they need to take them steps themselves. Of course you encourage them, but you can't make somebody do it. And it, it's a matter of giving them the space to find the time and the right time to make, take those steps for themselves and be there for them. Everybody's been in the military of some description, you know, and you know, we have some really black humour here. <laughs> and, and, but you do need to be careful because you can't offend people, you know. And, you know, I've seen people get, oh, he just called him, you know, whatever. Um, you know, you know, last night I was at a bar with another member and he walked into a door. And I didn't ask her, was his head all right? I just asked that he dobbies the door. You know, and that's the way we get it. You know, so so sometimes that sort of black humor, you know, you know, guy here lost his legs on his eyesight, you know, and said, told him he's bloody very careless to lost his legs on his eyesight in one day. <laughs> you know, but you know who you can do that with, you know, but People from outside of a military background maybe find that a bit this. The humour can help people over it. And we're, and we're not trying to cover anything up by using the humour. We're trying to allow people to express themselves, you know, and sometimes having a laugh about it can help them on that journey to let the anger out, let the heart out, and start to heal. So there's all different ways of reaching that, that, that point of starting to, you know, to heal.